class is in memory of Jared Orchen, as we do it every Tuesday night, and you are all invited every Tuesday for the class. Tonight is a very special date. It's Yud Shvat, the 10th in the month of Shvat. Well, this is the... In 1950, the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe passed away today, 70 years ago. And the year, a year later, the last, the Rebbe, became the Rebbe, assumed leadership. For a full year, right after the, his father-in-law passed away, the Rebbe was a son-in-law to the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe, that was, his name was Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak Schneerson. And the Hasidim turned to him right after the Rebbe, the, his father-in-law passed away, and asked him to be the Rebbe, to assume leadership. But the Rebbe did not want the job. And he said, every time they asked him, he says, no, he doesn't want it, it's not for him, should look for somebody else. And as time passed, the Hasidim intensified their request and they begged them. And the no became a little weaker. And it came a month before, a few weeks before the first Yorzeit, that they put ahead in the newspaper that they're going to except the, the Rebbe, it's going to be the first Yorzeit to be a big for bringing, and the Hasidim will take the Rebbe, will accept the Rebbe as the, as the leader of the Chabad movement. When the newspaper came to the Rebbe's office, he called the secretary and he told them to put an ad in the newspaper that this is not true. He never said that he will accept, uh, he's becoming the Rebbe. Uh, the Rebbe's secretary, Rabbi Chodakov, was a very special man, as a giant in his own right, called the committee of this Hasidim, and he told them, I have to put an, a notice in the newspaper that this is not true. The newspaper is closing six o'clock today, then you better walk something out until six o'clock. Then three Hasidim walked into the Rebbe. One of them was a very old rabbi from Europe, very smart man. The Rebbe tells them, what do you mean you're putting in the newspaper that I am... You didn't ask me. I said I don't want to. And he told them, what are you going to write? We wrote in the newspaper that we are accepting you as a Rebbe. You can deny what we want. We decided you are going to be... didn't say what you, are, what you are going to do. We are taking you as our Rebbe. That you cannot deny. That's the truth. We are accepting you. Then that was the end of this argument. And the day of Yuchvat, the day of the Yorzeit, the first was the year since the, his father-in-law passed away, the Hasidim came together and they wrote a letter of acceptance. They accept the Rebbe as the Rebbe. And they, some important Hasidim walked into the office and put it on his table. Then I heard an interview with, on a video from somebody who was there as a young boy. Says the Rebbe started to, he teared up and he said, he read it and he started to cry. And then he said, listen, I will try to help you. But ultimately, every one of you will have to do his job. I'm not, I'm not going to do the job instead of you. I can help you to do the job. I will help you as much as I can, but every one of us will have to do, to pave his own path to God and to do his, what he's, he's obligated to do as a Jew. And, this, and then a few minutes after they gave the letter and the Rebbe told them that, the secretary came out and they said that tonight, 8 o'clock is going to be a forbringer that they knew this would be the gathering where the Rebbe will officially accept his leadership. Came at night, anybody was in 770, quite a few of you were there, upstairs it's a small synagogue, 
but we're talking about 1951. There were, it was six years after the Holocaust. <coughs> not too many Hasidim were in, were, were in America altogether, and for sure not in New York. The place was packed with people, and the Rebbe walked in. The Rebbe was, I think, at that time 47 or 48, and it was not even a pet for him to go. He had to wait for people, but the Rebbe was very athletic, especially then. And the Rebbe, with one minute, he was going and chair on a table. He was in his place already. And it started off a bringing. And the Rebbe said, in the beginning, the Rebbe said, you know, in America, he says, we go to a place. The Talmud says, when you come to a city, you come to a place, you have to learn, you have to behave in their customs. In America, they like to make a mission statement. And what is the mission statement of his, of his, uh, of Chabad? It says, Chabad is based on the three loves. The love of God, the love of the Torah, and the love of Israel. And these three are connected. They are interconnected. Our person knows that he loves God. It's easy to love God. What means you love God? God needs you for something. What you hug him, you kiss him, what, what does this mean you love God? When you love his children, then you know that you love God. If you really love a friend, and he calls you, and he tells you, my kid is coming to, to Cleveland, would you pick him up from the airport? You do it because you love your friend. The same thing if you love God, if you really love God, you would love his children. And then it was other talks. Then one of the older Hasidim said, there is in Chabad, there is something, it's called a mimer. A mimer means a Hasidic discourse. That was a sign for a Rebbe that he becomes a Rebbe when he gives the mimer, when he gives a Hasidic discourse in, in a, a discussion about deep Hasidic thoughts. And it says a special tune and a special, and everybody stands up and the Rebbe is saying it. Then this Hasid said, Rebbe, we like the talks, but we want to hear a mimer. We want to have Hasidus. And then the Rebbe started to say the mimer. The last, he, he, he started with the last talk of his, of the, of his, of his father-in-law. In Hasid, by, by all the Hasid, Chabad Rebbe's, every one of his first talk was based on the last talk of his one was before him, his predecessor. The idea in Judaism, there is a, 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 a Talmudic statement in the Medrash that what, the first one finished, the next one began. For example, Moses finished, one of the lines that Moses finished in the Bible is Ashrecha Israel, your, um, your blessed Israel. Ash, ash, ash. And King David starts the book of Psalms it's a famous word that we all know, Ashrei. We sing Ashrei Yoshrei, this is in the end of the book of Psalms. But in the book, the book of Psalms, the whole book begins with the word Ashrei. Wherever Moses finished, King David began. We say it also with the Bible and the Talmud and the Mishnah. The written Torah and the oral Torah. The Bible, the five books of Moses, ends with the letter Lamed. The word Israel, the letter Lamed is the last letter in the, in the Bible. The Mishnah begins with the letter Mem, Mehimatai, Lamed, Mem. It's a continuation. The idea that in Judaism it's always, every generation builds on the, on the, on the previous generation. Whatever they did, we just continuing. The same thing the Rebbe started, the Mimer, it was the last Mimer that his predecessor, the previous Rebbe, gave out. And the Rebbe continued a discussion on the same concept. In this Mimer, he actually gave the real mission statement. What's the agenda of the generation, of his generation? What he wanted to accomplish in the world? 
and it was based on the Medrash. The Medrash in Shir Hashirim says something very interesting. You know, everybody likes the number seven. Everybody likes to go to weddings, right? Everybody, when it comes to a wedding, everybody is available. In the wedding, the highlight of the wedding is the chuppah. The highlight of the chuppah is when the groom puts on the bride the ring. On which finger he puts on the, the ring? On the index finger of the right hand, right? When, you, when the groom stands uh, across the uh, uh, opposite of the bride, when he starts from his right, from, from his right, he starts to count the fingers, then he counts the five fingers of the left hand, then the sixth finger, then the seventh finger from the right is the index finger of the bride. It's the seventh finger. The groom is putting the, the ring on the bride's seventh finger. That's not the only thing that by the chuppah is seven. The, groom, the bride is circling the groom seven times. There is seven blessings being recited under the chuppah, right? What else is seven by the chuppah? There is seven days of celebration, Sheva Boches, seven days that we celebrate by, when, a, when, a, when a couple gets married. Why everything is about seven? Then the Rebbe once write in a letter because every couple who gets married is creating the world all over again. It's Adam and Eve all over again. Then just when Adam and Eve were created, it was a seven day of creation, so too every couple is creating their own world and everything is in seven. But that's not the only thing that's in seven. There are other things in seven. Everything seven is in Judaism a very, very important number. For example, there is seven Noahite laws. The Torah gave, before God gave the, the Torah, the 613 mitzvahs to the Jewish people, right after the flood, he gave to, to Noah seven laws. It's called the seven Noahite laws. It's, uh, it's uh, to believe in God and, uh, and, uh, and, and not to steal and not to kill and so on. Seven laws. It's called seven Noahite laws. Then there is seven rabbinic mitzvahs. The seven rabbinic mitzvahs is, in top of the 613 commandment, we have seven rabbinic mitzvahs. What are the seven rabbinic mitzvahs, for example? One of the seven rabbinic mitzvahs is, light candles on Friday night is a rabbinic mitzvah. Um, washing the hand for the bread for the challah is a rabbinic mitzvah. Saying halal is a rabbinic mitzvah. And so on, there is seven rabbinic mitzvahs that we see again the number seven in Judaism. The holidays, Pesach is seven days, biblically. In the diaspora, I'd say this, but in the Torah, it's seven days. Sukkot is again seven days. In general, how many holidays the Jewish people have? Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, Hanukkah, Purim, Pesach, and Shuras. Seven, seven holidays. That's all in seven. Shabbos is the seventh day of the week. And I'm going to tell you, I think we're making the point. Everything is in seven. And Shabbos itself, there is, we, give, we, give, we, call, we, call, we, read, we call up to the Torah seven aliyah, seven people. When people say Shiva, mourners, what Shiva? Seven. Seven days of Shiva. Not like today, Shiva is two hours. Shiva means seven days. Actually, setting Shiva for seven days. 
The menorah in the temple was a seven was a seven branches. Everything is in Judaism is seven, and not only not only in the Torah, it's also in the nature of the world. We see everything is in seven. There is seven continents. There are seven oceans. Don't ask me the names of the oceans, but there are seven oceans. And then in, in the musical notes, there is seven notes. And the most important thing, anybody goes to Las Vegas knows there is the lucky seven. <laughs> Somebody told me there is such a thing exists. <laughs> Why we see everything is in seven? Because the, the, uh, the number seven reminds us of the creation of the world. And we always dare to remember the creation of the world. Just like the number 10 is an important number, we have a million is in 10. We have 10 fingers. We have whites at the 10. It's all to remind us about the 10 commandment. So too the number 7 is an important number in Judaism because it reminds us about this, the, the creation of the world, to remember the, who is the creator of the universe. Comes the Medrash Rabbe and says something very interesting. When God created the world, he came down to the world, it is full, he revealed himself in the world. That means to say when Adam and Eve were created, God was almost tangible. They felt God. They felt God in everything they did. Well, then the snake came and he convinced Eve to eat from the tree of knowledge. And Eve convinced Adam they ate from the tree of knowledge. What, what he really did with the of tree of knowledge? They did something against God. They push God up. They push God away. You know the expression, you feel in the seventh heaven? Judaism believe in seven, believes in seven heavens. Seven levels between God and the world. Then when God created the world, He came down all the way to the physical world. And He was real close to Adam and Eve. When Adam and Eve made the sin, they were written, they were thrown out of the Garden of Eden. What does this mean? And they were thrown out physically from here to there. <coughs> they, they lost this relationship with God, this intimate level of connection with God, they lost. They pushed God up one level back. God was still feel, uh, strong in the world, but not as strong as before the sin. Then came the next generation. Who was the next generation? Cain and Abel. We all know what Cain did. He killed Abel. Killing Abel, going up and killing another creation of God, means you don't feel God is in your life. You, you push God to the fifth, to the fifth heaven, back, a little back. Who was the next generation? Enosh. Enosh. Who is Enosh? Who is Enosh? I don't know. Son of Jared? Son of Seth. Enosh was the son of Seth. Seth was the son of Adam. Adam had... Cain and Abel, and Cain killed an Abel. Abel, he was a little disappointed. <laughs> he separated from his wife for 130 years only. <laughs> then he decided that we need to do something, and he, they got together and they had said, said that a son with the name Enosh. What started, what happened when Enosh came? When Enosh came, human beings started to worship <coughs> idols. What, how, this, how this process happened? They, in the beginning, they said, oh, God is God. It's a very... Amazing God. But is God as helpers? You go to a wedding and the waiter gives you, serves you the meal. You take the waiter. Sometimes you even tip him. Why? He doesn't pay for it. He's, he's being paid for. You have to take to the 
to the bride and the groom was the wedding or the parents. But still, the waiter gave it to you, say thank you. God is, is the boss, yeah? he's the owner, is the host. But there is the waiters, the sun and the moon and things like this, we thank him too. The children saw the parents say thank you to the sun. They didn't know what they have in their mind, that in their mind they have the idea that they believe in God. They saw what they do. What they do, they, they thank the sun, they thank the moon. The next generation knew that there's only, they, 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 they saw from the parents, how they serve the sun and the moon, and that's how they deteriorated to the concept of worshiping idols. The third generation already doesn't believe in God, they believe already in other gods. Taking the fourth generation. The fourth generation was worse than all of this. That was the, the generation, the, the fourth level was the generation of the flood. Not only they worshipped idols, not only they didn't believe in, the, in God and believed in, in gods that they made up, the next step was morality. they start the morality, they lost morality. They were killing and stealing and raping, doing whatever they want. That's an outcome when you don't have accountability to a real God, then you can, what, what, what is idol worshiping? <laughs> what lays behind idol worshiping? I, de I decide what God is. If I don't like this God, I choose another God. If this God comes up with, another, with the rules they make up, the God believes in this, and I, don't, I cannot work out my lifestyle with this God, I look for another, another synagogue, another rabbi. I make up whatever I want. If there is God and He gives the Ten Commandments and there is right and wrong, then I have to live up to, I'm accountable. I have to live up to His standards. If I decide who is God, that the next step is to become corrupted. That's what happened to the generation of the, of the, of the flood. After the generation of the flood came the generation of the Tower of Babel. Of, of Babel. What, they, what, what, was their, what, what they trying? They wanted to build a tower. So what's the problem with the tower? They wanted to make themselves a name. What does this mean? They wanted to be God. They are God. It started, we trust the world, we worship other gods. Then we become corrupt. Now they don't want to worship other God. He's God. He can do, he can do whatever he wants. Everybody else should. What every di dictator thinks, that he's God. And he can do whatever he wants. Then the, that was the, fifth, the, fifth, the generation of the Tower of Babel. After that came a worse generation, number six. That was Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah, why they are worse than the, than the generation of the flood? The generation of the flood was bad. Was the, why is that Sodom and Gomorrah even worse than that? Because Sodom and Gomorrah, not only they were corrupted, they didn't allow anybody else to be right, to do the right thing. They made corruption into the law. You were not allowed, in Sodom, you were not allowed to give charity. If you're caught giving charity, you were punished to death. See, the tower of, of the flood, the generation of the flood, the majority of the people were corrupted, but nobody forced somebody else, it wasn't the law to be corrupted. Sodom and Gomorrah was like in Poland in 1942, if you are caught to hide another Jew, you're being called, killed, being shot. Then that was, the, that was the problem with Sodom and Gomorrah. They made the law, the corruption, the law, and nobody's allowed to be good, to be righteous. And the seventh generation was the Egyptian. When, when, Moses, when Abraham went to Egypt and they took away his wife from him just because she was beautiful, that was a lower even, a lower level. The country of Egypt was at that time 
the, the, the most powerful country already in the time of Abraham or close to it were corrupted on a all new level. What happened throughout these seven generations? Every generation pushed God up. What does this mean, push God up? God was less felt in the world. It was so far as my man is right, when Abraham came around, if not for Abraham, the name of God would be forgotten from the world. The world would never remember it was already, you know which year Abraham was born? 1948. 1948. Since creation, not the, the state of Israel. Yeah. <laughs> 1948. You're talking about almost 2,000 years of a world that's going on, and little by little the name of God was erased, 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 and there is no God. And right before the world has almost lost the connection with God, Basically, it's called God was pushed up, the Medrash said it. God was bent back to the seventh heaven, as far from humanity as possible. Then came Abraham, and he started, when he was a little child, he started to wonder, where is God? These idols, they cannot be God. And so on and on, he, started, he went on a journey. By the age of 40, and according to some Medrash, it was the age of 48, he came to the conclusion, and he understood that there is a force that there is something that creates and operates the whole world. And this God has an agenda and he wants something from us and we are here for a purpose and everything is a reason. This universe didn't happen by itself. And he started to spread the belief of God. To who? It was not Jews at that time. It was people. And he made his own group, his own following. He was the first Chabad, Chabad rabbi. <laughs> he went and he was looking out for people, set up tent and call them to come and eat and then he started to talk about God. He was the first guy, the first generation to bring the God down from the seventh heaven to the sixth heaven. A little down throughout. And then came Isaac and continued his job. Isaac is known for the digging the, the, the wells. What behind the digging the wells is, is the message that within every person there is a well of living water. And it's just a little dust on top of the well, a little darkness, and you have to clean up, dig into it with the soul of every human being, and you find the well of God. You find the, the, you find the, uh, the spirituality within them will come out. Just like when you dig a well, as long as you dig uh, deep enough and you find the water, then the water pops up. The same thing is like this, the, the water of the soul will come out. And after Isaac was a third generation, who was it? Jacob. Jacob took it one step further. Jacob left Israel. He went to Haran to spread the belief of God. And after that, he ended up to, in Egypt. What he came to Egypt? To spread the belief of God. In Egypt was a, was a country, a very big country of idol worshippers. And he started to bring back the name of God to the world. To go to teach people that there is a God. Who was after J Jacob? Between Jacob and Moses, a long way. Joseph was a nice guy, but not in this connection. Before Amram, before Kehat, you almost passed the test. Levi, Levi, Levi was the son of Jacob, the Jacob entrusted them to be the head of the yeshiva, to teach Torah in Egypt. 
And Levi had a son with the name Keat. Not famous, not too many people know about him, but he continued the job of Levi, of his father. And Keat had a son with the name Amram. And he was the leader of the Jewish people in Egypt. When the Jewish people suffered for the eight years of slavery and throwing the babies into the river, who was the one to give him strength? Who was the one to hold on together to keep it going? Was Amram. He was number six. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Levi, Kehat, Amram. And then came the seventh, the seventh generation. Every leader brought back down, got down to the world one step down. From the seventh heaven to the sixth, to the fifth, to the fourth, to the third, to the second. And then was Moses. What was Moses' job? Moses' job was to bring God down to earth. What does this mean? What Moses did? As long as God is in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the with spirituality, we speak about God, we talk about God, we learn about God, but it's still not down to earth. Moses brought God down to earth. What does this mean? First of all, Mount Sinai. God came down at Mount Sinai, right? And he went down and he told, gave us the Ten Commandments. Not only he said the Ten Commandments, he actually gave us something physical. Two stones with the writing of God gave it to human beings. But it's more than that. What happened at Mount Sinai? In Mount Sinai, we got the power to make the world holy. For example, what is a mezuzah? You take a piece of parchment from a skin of an animal, you write an Etshma Israel, the two paragraphs, and the moment you write it the right way, it becomes an holy parchment. You're not allowed to throw it away. If to kiss it, it's a holy object. The power to take something physical and make it holy, the Jewish people got at Mount Sinai. This means bringing God down to earth to make the physical world a holy place. Even more simple, a synagogue. You're not allowed to turn a synagogue into a private home or to any other, or any other use. I remember when we had him, when we came into uh, to this building, we had a, a nice ark that we used to have in the other show, a wooden ark. And then we built a beautiful ark. And the question is, what you can do with the old one? I thought, we need to the library. We put in there regular books. Torah books, not, not, not books that you put the camera on. <laughs> Torah books, Bibles. But the Allah is, after finding out that you cannot bring down, it because it served a holier object to us, you cannot bring it down. From a synagogue, I cannot make a private house. I cannot take a part of the sanctuary and make it into, into an office because it's a holier use. This power to make something in the physical world to make it holy, that means to bring heaven down to earth. Then they brought God down all the way to this world. Moses did it. Beautiful. God is felt. Mount Sinai. Everybody feels the presence of God. They were there. They heard God with their own, with their own ears. They saw the, as the, tree, as the Bible says, they saw the, 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 the sounds and they, and they heard the, what you can see. Every, they, basically, they were all in, uh, immersed in the experience. And what happened a short time later? The golden calf. The golden calf was like pushing God back a million generations. But it took seven generations to prepare the world for Mount Sinai. The Rebbe gave this, mentioned this medrash within two lines. 
and he says that the same thing like, and it was the first, uh, to, you needed seven generations to bring God down to earth before Mount Sinai. Before Moshiach comes, we need seven generations of great leaders, holy people, to bring da God down to earth to bring Moshiach. And he said that in Chabad, the first Chabad Rebbe, Reb Shneur Zaman of Liadi, was over 200 years ago. He was the first Rebbe. Then it was the second Chabad Rebbe. And he was the first Chabad Rebbe, he wrote the book Tanya, as we, many of you know. And he wrote, and he was taking Kabbalah and bringing it down to earth, so to speak, applying it to real life. And that was the second Chabad Rebbe, his name was Dov Be'er, the middle Rebbe, the middle Rebbe is called. His name was the Tzemach Tzedek, that his name was Menachem Mendel, and his wife's name was Chaim Mushka. The same name as the seventh, as our Rebbe and his wife. Then uh, the third Rebbe and the seventh Rebbe had the, name, the same name, and his wife and his wife had the same name. That was the fourth generation, and the fifth and the sixth. And the Rebbe said that his job is, is the seventh generation. And just like this, the seventh in Judaism is the most precious. The seventh day of the week is Shabbos, right? The seventh day, the seventh day, the, uh, David, King David, was the seventh generation. I'm sorry. He was the seventh son of, of, Je of Ishai, of Jesse. He was the seventh. That the same thing our generation, the Rebbe said, is the most favored generation. It's the precious generation. What is our job? To bring heaven down to earth. What does this mean to bring heaven down to earth? It means to leave the synagogue and go out to the street. In the synagogue, it's easy to be a Jew. It's easy to be a Jew when you learn Torah. It's easy to be a Jew when you do a mitzvah. It's easy to be a Jew when you pray. That's normal. That's, you're engaging it. What means to bring them? Until the Rebbe came, Judaism was behind closed doors. Where you put a film in the shul or in your house. You have a talis, you wear it in the house. Every mitzvah the Jewish people did, they did it inside. The Rebbe took Judaism to the public domain. For example, I'm sure uh, the, uh, we have the big public menorah here. Now the public menorah is something that everywhere, all over the world, and many people are not Chabad are doing. But then my father-in-law came to Cleveland in 1970, 72, and he put up a public menorah in downtown Cleveland. It's separation of church and state. You cannot do this. And it was a lot of pressure. And at that time, Mr. Irving Stone was, he brought Chabad to Cleveland. Irving Stone was Chabad to Cleveland. He sponsored Chabad. And, and he, was, he was the sponsor that the Federation and everybody was pressuring him very much. And he turned to my father-in-law. He said, what's going to be? Maybe you can remove it. He says, I'll call the Rebbe. He calls the Rebbe's office. The Rebbe's secretary, Rabbi Chodokov, tells him, one minute. He got the Rebbe on the other line, and he comes back, and he didn't tell the Rebbe. He just tells him, absolutely not. You put it up, it's going to stay there. Then the first year, it was there. And I remember when I came, we put up the menorah, one of the early years, I mean, 27 years on. We put it up one year in the, in the, in the Solon schools. And right away I got a phone call to make sure they know there is separation of church and state and they cannot do it. I told them it's only for the party, it's not, nothing to worry. Today there is a menorah in downtown Cleveland, nobody thinks it's any problem. The world changed, the Jewish world changed.
This means to take Judaism to the public domain or to take the, the mitzvah mobile. If you were in New York, in many other places, you saw the big, uh, the big trucks that are traveling in New York in every big city in the world and they stopping in the middle of the road and asking Jews to put on film and goes to give him candles to light. It's taking Judaism to outside. But more than that, what does this mean in my life, in your life? Not in my life so much, it's more in your life. To be a Jew in your office, to have a, to have a, a mezuzah in your office, not to be afraid, oh, people see that I'm Jewish, you know, maybe somebody will not be afraid to make do business with me. You know, I'm afraid of terrorists, I'm afraid of Rechmezvos. <laughs> to be a proud Jew, to apply our Judaism also in business. Many times people think that they are Jewish, they are religious in sure. But in business, you have to be a businessman. You have to do what? You have to cut corners. If not, you will not survive. To bring heaven down to earth means to take Judaism and to bring it down to your own life. And by this, when we bring, and that's why the Rebbe sent out emissaries all over the world, even to China. And my brother in China, one of them came, came already to America with his family. But my older, my, the older one there, there are both of them younger than me, but the older one there is in uh, Shanghai. And he went to, he gave out 10,000 um, masks, face masks, to, in the Jewish ghetto in Shanghai. Why? There was a, there is a, out there is a Jewish ghetto in Shanghai. During World War II, China saved thousands of Jews. Actually, my son-in-law, Levi Reichik, his grandfather, great-grandfather, is one of the Jews who survived through China. There is many, many Hasbat families. Um, in my other brother, Schneer, in Detroit, his wife, um, the other, <laughs> my other son-in-law, Shimon, Rabbi <coughs> Shimon, his great-grandfather, he now named his baby Shmuel Tzvi after his, his grandfather. This grandfather, Shimon's grandfather, was one of the boys, together with the other, with Rajik, who survived in Shanghai because of the Chinese. My son-in-law is here in the world because of China. Now, the, the ambassador or the consul of China in, in Israel, you know, in Israel, the 32 Chinese came to the airport in Israel, sent them back to China. And this made a comment, he says, I hope that uh, as, just as, as China didn't turn the, uh, open the doors for the Jews during the dark times, that, that Israel will not close the doors on, on, on China. And then he apologized, but the statement has some merits. It's true that my brother decided to go, he got, I don't know how he got it, he got 10,000 uh, face masks when there is nowhere to be found anywhere in the world. And he went to the, to the, where it's now, it's still there, the Jewish, I mean, the Jewish quarters of, in, in Shanghai. And there is many old people there and sick people. And he gave it out there to make sure that these people don't have to stand in the cold and they have their own mask. Because the idea of bringing heaven down to earth is not just for Jews. If we want to bring Moshiach, if the goal is to bring Moshiach, to bring, Moshiach is not only for the Jews, it's for everybody in the world. Then we need to bring the belief of God to every human being. What does this mean? We don't have to bring God, we don't have to make, we are not in the agenda of making them Jews. We are not in the business of converting anybody. But, we are, but to bring the belief of God, every human being, 
should know that there is a God, believe in God, pray to God, and feel accountable to God. Because basically to walk and every human being should have a relationship with God. And every human being will have a relationship with God. The mission of the seventh generation that the Rebbe said will be completed. You know, the Rebbe, by the end of this Falbring, and he told to everybody what he said to this group in the beginning, he told it in public. He says, don't convince yourself that you choose yourself a Rebbe. Now everybody will go home and make himself a good living and relax, and I will do for you the job. Every one of you is going, I will help you, but every one of you will have to do the job, will have to pave his own path for spirituality, will have to spread Judaism. And all oh, the Rebbe lived up to his promise. He made every Chabadnik walk for a living. He made every Chassid to walk and do to be a part of his job. And the job is not ended. The Rebbe passed away 25 years ago. But the, the, when he, the, the Talmud says how the Jacob never died. The word death by Jacob is not mentioned. It's written that Jacob expired. He never de- died. Because as long as his children continue his tradition, Jacob is alive. As long as we continue to do the Rebbe's work, not only me, all of you, then the Rebbe is alive. Thank you very much for coming.